Well, listen, uh, I, just, I just popped a button. Right, right, like right there, like my button is on the ground. It's going to be a great day today. Come on, this is real time. This is real life. And I'm so grateful that we uh, serve a real God because we have real issues. Are you guys with me on that? Well, listen, I'm excited to jump into this new series entitled Recalculate. And I, I think we all know how it feels to get lost. Anybody know how it feels to get lost? And I think that as we've been living in times of constant change, I think it's a whole lot easier to get lost. Uh, we can find ourselves getting lost in the stress. We can find ourselves getting lost in the trial. We can find ourselves getting lost in politics. We can find ourselves getting lost, maybe, maybe with your health. Um, maybe, maybe there's been some unhealthy habits that you have developed. Maybe it's spiritually. Maybe you've been lost relationally. Maybe you've just had some setbacks. And there have been some habits and some rhythms that you've created over the last eight months that aren't very good and healthy for you. Are you with me on that? Anybody, are, are you, is any humans in here? All right. Um, and, and, and maybe it's just time. You know, I, I think that, that it's in moments like that when you get lost, what do you do? You just simply recalculate. If your GPS is going the wrong way, you make sure the right address is, you kind of change some things. And so, so I would propose that maybe you're in a season right now where some things need to change. Maybe you need to start some things as we kind of head out of the summer. Uh, maybe you need to, uh, to change some things. Maybe you need to stop some things. Maybe you need to get back to some things. Maybe there needs to be healing in some areas. And I'm just here to tell you that as long as Jesus is a part of the process and a part of the equation, that the impossible becomes possible when we're recalculating. And so I, I want to speak to you today from this idea of I chipped it. Everybody say I chipped it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we need you. Lord, I would like to pretend like we're still in a normal time, but we're just not. And Lord, we, we desperately need you, Lord, in so many facets. There's so much going on in the world. There's a lot happening in our personal life. There's a lot of great things going on. There's a lot of difficult things going on. But Lord, we want to Proverbs 3, 5 it and acknowledge you in all of our ways. Because you said in that place that you'd make our path straight. And so, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to us. If there's areas that need recalibrating, recalculating, Lord, I pray that we'd be honest with ourselves today. I pray that we'd be honest with you. And, Lord, that we would uh, approach this time together just with an open heart, that we would hear from heaven in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen, amen and amen. Well, I, I, I'm happy to announce to you guys that I, I leveled up my scooter game. And so I, I got a big boy scooter now. I'm not riding a little pink Razor. And, uh, and the skate park, I don't know. We just kind of adopted it. It's, it's something outside that we can do. My kids love it. And uh, I'm building some relationships with the, with the kids that come there, you know, on a regular basis. We're actually going to start hosting our student group at that park um, just so we can, man, that's where the, the students are. That's where we're going to go. And, um, and so, so with that being said, yeah, you guys can clap to that. That's good. That was like a golf clap. Should we clap? Should we not clap? We're outside. Is this golf? No, it's church. It's just church. And so, so let, let, me, let me just say this, though. This last week, Hannah loves to, to ride on my scooter, and so normally I'll put her on, and the, the deck that I got is a little bit larger than the normal deck, and so uh, she'd ride around with me, and she has, still has her helmet on and all that good stuff. The beautiful thing about it is is that, you know, she gets to keep up with all the girls because dad can go a little bit faster. But I got to take it easy because her head is still like 
a little bit bobblehead. And my handlebars now are a little bit taller on the scooter, and so I have to keep her head back because if we hit a dip, she, she, her head goes forward and she can hit her face on the bars. Well, we had a really good rhythm until she looked away and then she looked back. At the same time, I hit a little bump and she dinked her tooth. And, and she hit her, she, it wasn't that hard, but she was silent. And you know when, she's, when the kid is silent after they just got hit in the face, it's probably not going to be a, a good um, level of volume right after that, right? So, so, so I, I stop and she looks up at me and she, a little piece of her tooth is right on her lip. And I'm like, your mom is going to kill me, right? And uh, come on, good dad, I'm a great dad. And, uh, and so, so right away, you know, she started to cry a little bit. And I'm like, oh, it's not that bad, it's not that bad. And so long story short, I called the dentist and I sent him a couple of pictures and yeah, I'll just kind of give you a little sneak peek. I don't know if you can see it or not, but nice little chip right there. And so I called the dentist, and, and Dennis is like, man, we're, we're going to have to deal with this, man. And I'm like, I, I, I know. And as soon as Hannah hears the dentist, she's like, no! But how the dentist described it, he said it's like having a thousand straws in that tooth that go directly to the nerve. And so he said it, it's going to be extremely sensitive to hot, to cold, um, so you can't give her any extremes. You got to keep her kind of lukewarm. And I'm like, this is, get, get, this is getting really bad because lukewarm in the Bible is not a good thing, right? And, and so for, if, if Hannah had it her way, she would say, that's great, Dad. Let's not go to the dentist. I'll just stay lukewarm for my entire life. I'll eat warm food. I will uh, not eat hot food, not cold. I just, I would love just to stay in the middle there. And, and I, I think like for a season, that would be okay but her life would be extremely limited. You know, Jesus said, I, I wish that you were neither, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I wanna spit you out of my mouth, right? Cause like lukewarm sounds good, but then, you know, there's the moments where the hot chocolate is coming around September and October, and she would have to suffer through that. Uh, right now, frozen yogurt, anybody do Froyo? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a regular in our family, right? We, we visit Froyo quite a bit. So, so imagine me looking at Hannah saying, hey, hey Hannah, sorry. Um, we're going to go ahead and eat Froyo. We're going to give you some room temperature water, um, you know, just so you don't have to go to the dentist. And, and I know that's silly, but I think, I think so many times we live such limited lives because there's things that we don't want to deal with. There's things that God is calling us to deal with that we don't want to deal with. Our soul has been chipped, uh, maybe spiritually, Maybe your, your soul has been chipped emotionally. Maybe there's been a, a relational disconnection or fracture. Uh, maybe it's, it's your physical body. How many of you guys know that when you're in physical pain on a regular basis, that can start to wear on your soul? And I, I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit speak to you wherever you're at, but I think what happens is when we don't deal with, we just find ways to cope. We find excuses to make. We find rationalizations and justifications to, to put in that place. And, and then we find ourselves frustrated because we're, we're living our lives limited. We're, we're not living our lives to the fullest as God has called us to. Maybe not walking in the fullness of our calling. Uh, maybe we're trapped in a sin. Maybe, maybe there's something that, that's been chipped in our soul and we feel the limitation and it's frustrating. And I think some of the reasons why we don't deal with stuff while we don't deal with our chips, while we don't deal with our pain, while we don't deal with our wounds, while we don't deal with our sin, is I think, number one, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is I think comfortability. 
sometimes it's just a lot easier not to deal with it. We get comfortable in our dysfunction. And even though we know it's dysfunctional, it's still normal to us. It's, there, there's still a sense of, of comfort. I, I think this is a big reason why people don't want God in the equation. I think this is why atheists work really, really hard to work God out of the equation because if God is true and he really exists, then I'm gonna have to deal with my life. I'm gonna have to deal with my sin. I'm gonna have to deal with my pain. I'm gonna have to face some of the wounds that I wrestle through. So it's, it's much easier just to say God doesn't exist than to have to deal with our stuff. I, I, I mean, I, I think so many times, uh, we, we say that it's comfortable, but we're, we're really lying to ourselves because we feel the limitations. But somehow we find comfort in that, even though it's really not a comfortable place. But I mean, if we're honest, I think sometimes pride is, is a lot more comfortable than humility. I mean, if we're just being honest, I, I think sometimes denial is a lot easier than wrestling through truth. I, I think that you and I, medicating is a lot easier than actually having to go through the surgery, having to actually deal with the pain. I think gossip is a whole lot more comfortable than confronting, right? And we've all been there, right? I think that, that canceling is a whole lot easier than conversating. And can I just say, you know, there's just so much talk about we're, we're in a cancel culture. I don't care what side of the party you're on. As followers of Jesus, we, we don't get that luxury, like, like uh, uh, a pastor who's, who runs in our tribe, his name is Mekon Carter. He preached a message a few weeks back. And he's like, man, w- the church is the first cancel culture, right? We, we, we forgive people. We don't hold their sins against them. We cancel their debts. But let me just say that we, we just don't get that luxury to do that. But canceling is a whole lot easier than conversating. Blame is a whole lot easier than ownership. And so, so even though it's not comfortable, we lie to ourselves and say it is comfortable and it is sometimes a little bit easier even though it ends in discomfort. You guys can figure that out later. I think the second one is chaos. I think it's easy not to deal with our stuff because of the chaos. Some of us love the busyness because it, it deflects you know, our attention off of having to deal with some of the things that God has called us to deal with. I, I think we, we love drama sometimes because it gets the attention off of ourselves and onto somebody else. I, I think for some of us, we may not like work, but we learn to love work because if I throw myself into my work, sometimes I feel a little bit more uh, successful. It validates me a little bit more and I don't have to deal with the things that God has called me to deal with. I, I think the chaos of the news across the globe I mean, sometimes it's just so easy to get caught up in, in everything that's happening in the world, which, which is important to be informed. It's important to, to understand what's happening. But I think sometimes we can get so caught up like, man, it's the end times. And, and, and man, is this going to be the microchip? And it's like, listen, I don't know, but I know your marriage is in disarray. I, I know you have an anger problem. Like, like, how about we start there? Like, uh, like your health isn't doing good, right? Like, maybe let's, let's work. You, the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, I heard one lady say this. She said, our, 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 our leadership only gets one body. Meaning we got to take care of ourselves. The Bible speaks of our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. But I think you guys get my point is that sometimes chaos is just an easy deflection from not having to deal with reality. And then I, I think the last one that I want to highlight is the crowd. I think sometimes it's easy not to deal with our stuff because we feel like a speck of sand in light of everything that we look out and see. All the pain, all the chips, 
all the wounds, all the dysfunction. And can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if we're left to ourselves, that is very discouraging. I mean, as we look out, it's like, oh my goodness. Like if we're left to ourselves, we are in trouble. But, but I think this is a, a, a beautiful picture that I wanna remind you of today, is that with Jesus in the equation, we're able to recalculate. With Jesus a part of the equation, we're able to recalculate. You're so far from a speck of dust when it comes to the one who is omnipotent. He, he's all powerful. When it comes to the one who is omniscient, meaning he knows all things. The one who's omnipresent, meaning with all of the chaos, the pain, every chip soul on the planet, he has enough capacity to be present in all of that pain. And so, so sometimes the crowd can just, we can just feel like, I don't really know if God has space for me, if it's really that important. I mean, there's so many other things happening. But I, I love what Matthew says. Matthew says that large crowds followed Jesus wherever he went. Like wherever Jesus went, there were always large crowds. People from Galilee, the 10 towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and from the east of the Jordan River. It was always huge crowds with Jesus, but this is so awesome. It says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. See, I'm so grateful that, that even though so many crowds were following Jesus, Jesus could see right through the crowd to the individual. Jesus could see right through the crowd to the pain. Like, I love this. Like, he saw them harassed and helpless. It's like very specific. Like, he knows. He just doesn't see the crowd. He knows you. You're not just a speck of sand. He knows you. He sees, he knows. And then this word compassion in the Greek, it literally means to be like, to, to have your bowels squeeze that moves you to a place of action. It means you feel it so deeply that you're moved to a place of action. Jesus sees, Jesus knows, and Jesus serves. And, and, and there's a story that I, I want to dive into in the Gospel of Luke. Now, let me just kind of set the, the stage for you. The context of this passage is the religious leaders are trying to entrap Jesus. They've been looking for a reason and an opportunity to, to trap him, to catch him doing something faulty, to catch him violating the law. And on this particular day, it's the Sabbath. And, you know, in this culture, you don't work on the Sabbath. Well, J Jewish tradition and their laws really kind of got away from the heart of what God designed the Sabbath for. That Sabbath was designed for the man, not man for the Sabbath. And so it got really distorted and they're trying to catch Jesus in a trap to see if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. But, but in light of that, there's this backdrop, there's this man who's a part of this narrative and I wanna focus on the man today, not as a formula, but I wanna point out some observations that I think are really helpful as we look at our lives, invite Jesus in, and recalculate. And so, so as we look at this text, it says, on, a, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and he was teaching. And there was a man there who was, uh, whose, hand was whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. I, I mean, think about this. They were more interested in accusation and accusing than they were healing. 
I, I mean, I want you to see the, the, the picture and, and the heart of this is that they are more interested in disproving Jesus. And as a result, they missed it. I mean, get this logic. We want to see if he does a miracle on the Sabbath so we can get him caught up. <laughs> like, like just, that, that's not even logical. Rather than saying, hey, this guy is doing miracles on the Sabbath. Maybe we need to pay attention. Maybe we need to lean in a little bit. But that's, that's not what they did. And it says that Jesus knew what they were thinking. How many of you guys know it would have been a little bit frustrating to grow up and walk and do life with Jesus, right? I, I mean, just imagine, he's like, hey, you want in and out? You're like, yeah, sounds great. He looks at you and says, why didn't you just say you want a Chick-fil-A? Like, well, like well, I mean, it would have been a very, just want to make sure you're awake. It says, but Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, he said, get up and stand in front of everybody. So he got up and he stood there. So we got up and he stood there, and then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And he looked around at all of them, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. Now, this word completely restored, it, it actually is one Greek word, and it means to reestablish to its original state. And so we know that something happened to this man. Most scholars and theologians believe that he wasn't born like this, but there was an accident. There was an, uh, maybe an attack. There was, there was an, some type of affliction that this man was suffering. And we don't know what it is, but the first observation that I want to point out today is that he is wounded. Like there is a wound. There is, there is some type of affliction that this man is dealing with. It says on the Sabbath, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and he was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Now, now this word shriveled, uh, and if I keep going to the Greek, I, I just want you to really grab, uh, sometimes we lose some of the meaning in our English translation. So if I keep going back there, it's because I really want you to grab the fullness of meaning. And, and this word shriveled, it actually means to dry up. It means to like, like this progression of becoming dry it also has the notion of paralysis, like, like, like to, to be paralyzed and to be paralyzed by fear. It's, it's a paralysis by fear. So it has like three different notions to it. But, but I think it's really consistent because we don't know what happened. We know this man is wounded. Maybe it was an injury. Maybe it was an accident. But we know that over a period of time, it started to get worse. Now, now we don't know what had happened, but we do know where it happened. And Luke is a medical doctor and he's very intentional and specific to let us know that it was his right hand. Now to understand your right hand in Jewish culture, I, I mean, this, it, it, it was symbolic for a lot of things. And the, the right hand was, it was very significant. It was significant when a father would lay his hand on his children to bless them. It was significant when it came to some of the priestly rituals. And, and uh, as they would, uh, you know, do different acts of worship unto the Lord, the right hand was super significant. The right hand was uh, a picture of authority, right? It's the right side that Jesus said, I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father. Um, it, it, was, it was symbolic of, of blessing. It was, it, it was something that, that basically permeated every aspect of life. Like if the right, if something was off on the right hand, or the left hand, if you're left-handed, don't get offended by this. My mom is left-handed. 
there's probably a lot of left-handed people, but, but it wasn't looked at or described in scripture a lot of time as being good, right? And so, so I, I just, I want you to get this picture in your mind that, that this, this man was, was, was wounded where it counts. And he was reminded every single day. I mean, as far as, you know, being able to work, being able to provide. Also having to deal with some of the embarrassment. It was symbolic of strength. And so this man is, is doing life like this every single day. Now, this man is in need of a miracle. We don't know a lot about this man or his backdrop or his story of how he tried to, you know, rectify it or whatever the case may be. But we do know that this would have affected this man's everyday life physically. It would have affected him emotionally and relationally because any abnormality or deformity would have been looked at as weakness. And so this man is probably dealing with a lot more than, than meets the eye. And I started to think as I was preparing this, the enemy understands and is so sly when it comes to wounding us where it counts. John chapter 10 says that he is a thief and he comes to steal. And the enemy is very clear. He understands well that when our strength is teamed up with our sinful nature, that that, that provides opportunity from maybe even some of our strengths to be partnered or to be turned into weakness. When our strength is partnered with our sinful nature, the enemy loves to sneak in there slyly and slowly and do whatever he can to cause you to lose your way. I mean, we look back, Moses was called to be a deliverer, but first what happened, he was a murderer. Moses had this calling on his life, but he took that calling into his own hands and he murdered an Egyptian. You have... King David was a worshiper, got lost, lost his way and found himself as an adulterer. Like the enemy would love to to help you lose your way. The enemy would love to have your strength partnered with your sinful nature and do whatever he can to cause you to lose your way. Paul was a defender, a defender of the gospel. Had this incredible calling on his life, but what? Ended up being a persecutor of the church. Murdering, killing, imprisoning, trying to wipe Christianity off the face of the map. And if you look at all of the equations here, there's one thing missing that when they began to recalculate, they recalculated with God in the equation and the game totally changed. Moses went on from being a murderer to a deliverer. Uh, David continued to move on from an adulterer to a worshiper. And Paul went from being a persecutor to a defender. Like there there had to be a recalculating with God in the equation. And so, so my question to you today is this is that, that when you think about these areas of your life, is there, a, is there a place right now where maybe there's been an affliction, maybe there's been a wound, maybe there's a sin that you've been entangled in and there's an area of your life that is drying up as you know it, that, that your strength is being paralyzed as a result of it. You cannot move. You can't function as God has called you to function. And so if you're taking notes, you might wanna jot this down. The question is, where am I withering? I just want you to ask that question, where am I withering? Now, let me just make this very clear. What we're talking about today is not a formula for healing. Very careful to say that. I'm just making some observations about the text that I think can be a catalyst in helping us recalculate and deal with some of our stuff. A lot of times, you know, as pastors, the temptation is we can want to formulate stuff all the time, and that's just not always the case, and we want to make sure that Scripture is in its proper context. And so we're just making some observations about this text. But where are you withering? You know, there was a woman that Jesus met in John chapter four, a woman at the well. And this woman, 
uh, she was, was on her, her fifth guy, and she had, or I'm sorry, she had five husbands. The guy that she was living with uh, was not her husband. And Jesus meets her at about 12 noon. You guys got the early service. At about 12 noon, you're going to realize why most people in the ancient world did not go to the well at 12 and did not go to the later service. But if you're coming, we love you. We can't wait to see you. This is going to be hot today. But she would go to the well at 12 because she didn't want to deal with the other women. She had a reputation. There was a, a wound in her life. There was an area that was, was drying up. She was doing whatever she could to try to medicate, to try to cope, to try to figure it out. And then Jesus comes to her and they have this conversation at the well. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but he looks at her and he says, those who drink the water that I can give will never thirst again. He said that they will bubble up uh, there'll be a spring on the inside of them, giving them eternal life. I love how Jesus speaks of not just a, a quench on the outside, but, but a spring on the inside, bubbling up to eternal life. So I got a call from the dentist yesterday, and uh, it was pretty interesting because it's the weirdest dentist phone call I ever got. The, the nurse or the assistant called me. She said, hey, Matt, um, I need you to take that broken tooth and I need you to put it in some milk. I'm like, milk? Well, 1%, 2%, like what are, what are we talking about here? Well, and the funny thing is this, I just said, okay. I didn't even ask why. I was like, oh, all right, yeah, no problem. Put it in the bag, you put it in the fridge, right? I, I had an idea what it was for, but I didn't know. So later I'm sitting down at night and I'm like, let me Google this thing or duck, duck, go this thing, right? Um, but um, all right, and, uh, and so, so I, I, I looked it up, and, and what, it, what the milk does is it preserves the tooth from decaying because it, it helps to preserve the root, the inside of the tooth that you and I can't see. And, and this is where I, I think it's so important that when we have a wound, when there's an affliction, when we're living or walking in a sin that is so easily entangling us, what ends up happening is you may not see the manifestations on the outside, but the inside starts to dry up. There starts to become a paralysis, even spiritually, that limits you from fulfilling all that God has called you to. When we start to dry up on the inside, ladies and gentlemen, that's trouble. That's trouble. And so where are you withering? And the second observation I want to make is this. I think it's very clear that it's more comfortable to hide than to heal. Now, Jesus is about to, to, to make a, a demonstration here. And it says, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. They were trying to catch Jesus in a trap. So he said to the man with the shriveled hand, he said, get up and stand in front of everybody. So he got up and he stood there. Now, again, the context of this passage is Jesus is getting ready to let them know that I am sovereign, that I am Lord, even over the Sabbath. He knows what they're thinking. And so he's like, oh, I know you guys are trying to trap me. I know what you're thinking, so let me help you out. Gentlemen, come up here. I want you to come to the front. Stand up. Now, now that, is, that is the context, but I want you to imagine this man. Like this man is, is a part of this story, and and here, there, there's a principle here that I think Jesus begins to illuminate to us that, that this man is now standing in front of this assembly with his wound. He's exposed. There's, there, there's an exposure that happened. This pain has been identified. But how many of you guys know, it's just way more comfortable to hide than to heal. Now, now, we were at the skate park this last week. 
like I told you, and not only did Hannah chip her tooth, but then we went back later in the week, and I'm riding the scooter, and I'm, man, I'm tearing it up with these kids. These little kids are like, dang! Like, I'm, I'm actually, like, getting the hang of it. And so, so, yeah, I'm so awesome, right? And so I'm riding, and Hannah is, it's getting busy there. Hannah's in the, the actual skate park, like the little bowl of it. And Hannah's not, she's just not listening to me. I'm like, Hannah, get out of there. Because these kids come on skateboards like, I mean, they're just no joke. Get out of there. And I'm like this, get out of there. Get, and I'm, I'm riding my scooter. Get out of there. And there's a rail. And I smash right into it. Bam. I hit my wrist. I thought for sure. My wrist is so swollen and, and it hurts so bad. I, I thought for sure I broke it. I broke my wrist before. I'm like, oh, I broke And I didn't even do a trick. I broke it running into a rail. Like, are you serious, right? And so, so Tatiana, she, she's uh, a part of our team here. She's been a part of our family. She, she uh, paid us a visit that day, and she does x-rays and all that stuff. She's a, a radiologist. And, and so she said, let me see it. I'm like, no! <laughs> right, because right away she wants to grab and touch. It's so much more comfortable to hide than to heal. Because she, she wants... You know, she's touching the, the spot. Does it hurt there? No. And you're just anticipating that there's going to be a zinger in about three seconds. And so it's just, it's just so, so much easier to hide than to heal. And I think we walk around with chips. And as long as we avoid certain things, we think we're okay. Because it's not touching the pain. And so, so as long as, you know, uh, I stay away from this relationship, as long as I don't look at it, we don't talk about it, we don't touch on it, as long as we just keep it hidden, it's this idea, if I can't see it, it won't hurt me. And, and, and my kids sometimes, they're the, they're the funniest thing, they'll hide under a blanket and feel safe. And it's just not real. It's cute, but it's just not real. The pain does not go away. People say time heals. Physical pain, yeah, time can heal. Not if the bone is broke, though. It can heal, but it's going to heal with the deformity. Like pain, doesn't, time doesn't always heal. We got to actually deal with stuff, especially when it comes to our soul. And so you could imagine this guy's, you know, I don't know if he was in excruciating pain. I don't know how it looked, but I know he was probably feeling embarrassed. He probably came into the church through the back. And I, again, this is all my speculation. This isn't in the text, but I'm just saying, man, as a human being, I think sometimes we know it's just easier. I'm just going to sneak in the back. I'm going to do my church thing. I'm going to get out of here. And, and I want you to know that you don't have to hide here. That here at Fountain Church, it, it's a safe place. It's a safe place. But, but can I just tell you, safe doesn't mean comfortable. It's a safe place for you here. But safe doesn't mean comfortable. You, you know, the, the, one of the most cruelest things in the world is grace without truth. That's not medicine. That's poison. Like grace without truth, that's, that's, not even, that's not even healthy. Can I tell you what, what else is not good? Truth without grace is just as bad. But Jesus provides a place for both. Jesus embodied both the fullness of grace and truth. And can I just promise you here, listen, it is a safe place to struggle here, but I cannot promise you that you'll be comfortable. Because it's a safe place to struggle. It's a safe place to, 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 to come and wound and have, you know, the pain that you're wrestling and struggling with. But I promise you this, is that we just don't want to, we're going to extend tons of grace, but we also want to tell you the truth. Because without truth, you're not able, you're not going to be able to properly heal. You're not going to be able to properly recalculate and find your way. Grace without truth is not safe. Truth without grace. You guys get my point. 
So the question I want you to ask, second question is, where am I hiding? So the first one, where, where, where am I withering? Second one is, where am I hiding? So we see this man is in the forefront. He's exposed. Now, again, I don't think Jesus' original intent was just to say, hey, let's expose this guy. But no, Jesus is about to do a miracle in this man's life, and it caused from him exposing. Now, I think this is very consistent throughout Scripture. As we look in the book of James, confess your sins to one another. Expose those things. Why? Not so that you would be forgiven, but so that you would be healed. There's something about confession. There's something about getting these chips on the outside, putting our chips on the table, saying, man, God, I need you to help me recalculate. I gotta come out of hiding. It's a whole lot more comfortable to hide than it is to heal. And then the last observation that I wanna point out to you is this, is that he steps out in practical obedience. He steps out in practical obedience. You guys tracking with me? It says this, it says, so he got up and he stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around them all, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. I want you to think about for a moment, this, this man has a withered and a shriveled hand. I don't know what it looked like, but I know that stretching, and, and every theologian that I've looked at and commentator would, would agree, Stretching was not a normal function for this man. For a hand to be withered, for it to be shriveled up, like it just, that wasn't a normal. Having the notion of paralysis, they don't know if it was his arm, that it was his hand that's described, but it, 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 it affected his entire arm. They don't know if he was able to, to actually reach. I mean, there could have been a, a, a real paralysis on his limbs. And so, so at this moment, he has to recalculate. Like, I have not been able to do this for so long, yet Jesus is calling me to stretch out my hand, and I got to figure out what I'm going to do in this. And, and I think this is so, it's so difficult sometimes for us to see that sometimes God wants us to take a practical step that leads to a spiritual result. Sometimes the practical things, a lot of times we want to separate the practical from the spiritual, but, but sometimes they're, they're running in the same lane. Like obedience, simple obedience to the Lord is very spiritual. Are you guys with me on that? And so, so this man is having to recalculate. Faith is recalculating what you see, what you've experienced, the pain you've had to endure through the lens of Christ in the gospel. Right? Faith is being certain of what we, faith is the evidence of things not seen as being certain of what we hope for. I just butchered that passage, but you guys know what I'm saying. Stretch out your hand. And so, so I, I, want you, I want you to get this in your mind. That's your moment of restoration. Like you may be a step away. Like think about this. You come up for prayer, a very practical step. And God is able to meet you supernaturally in that moment. You know, I, I think about all these, these different things just kind of came to my mind. You confess to a godly friend who wants to see God's best in your life. And what happens? A very practical step, and God begins to bring some healing in your life. 
Many of you guys know in the beginning of my walk with Jesus for about three years, I had severe anxiety. So much so, I didn't know any of this joy, any of this peace. Like Charles Spurgeon said, I felt like it was a dark night of my soul. I can't explain it to this day. I don't know why I went through it. But I tell you what I kept practically doing was I kept practically showing up. I kept practically serving. I kept practically opening up my Bible and saying, God, I don't feel you. You feel a million miles away, but I'm going to seek you. And like Job said, even though he slay me, I'll put my trust in you. Right? I, I, I think about Nora Lamb. Nora Lamb, she was one, it was one of the first books I read after I got saved, her, her testimony of living in Red China as a Christian. And she, she, she was, ended up, long story short, being uh, arrested for her faith. She was pregnant. She was put into a camp, a labor camp, where she was forced to, to work um, extremely hard. And you could imagine being pregnant in those conditions. And it was just a very practical thing that, that she did, but it was very supernatural. As they said, all you got to do is renounce your faith in Christ. That's it. And she just practically kept confessing the name of Jesus. That, that practical step led her in front of a firing squad. And as she's pregnant, getting ready to lose her life, true story, you can look it up, the sun blinds the soldiers. They get freaked out. They try to shoot her. They can't kill her. Immediately, some of the generals said, listen, we don't know what's happening here, but you need to get out of China and never come back here. Just a practical step, but it led to a supernatural move. We see in the book of Acts, the book of Acts, we see it very clearly that they, they weren't asking for a removal of the problem. They said, God, would you give us boldness in the midst of it? And would you stretch forth your hands and perform miraculous signs and wonders? Or like you might be one stretch away from his stretch. And I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about any, you know, just like naming and claiming stuff. No, I'm, ju I'm just saying that there's practical obedience that God calls us to that might be limiting your healing. We're hiding rather than healing. God is calling us to take a step of faith. And it's not comfortable to do that. Practical steps, sometimes they're not comfortable, especially if you've got to confront somebody, especially if you need to repent and apologize. Like that stuff's just not easy. That's depending on who the person is, right? Like those things can be extremely tough. But Jesus was asking this man to do the impossible. And all these other times that he's tried with himself, it's impossible. But now Jesus is a part of the equation. And Jesus said, I need you to recalculate. You know, I wonder if the Israelites, I wonder if they would have recalculated as they looked at the giants in the land. I wonder if they would have added the Lord into the equation, trusted his promise, and just practically stepped in to what God had asked them to do. 40 years in the desert, a generation had to die like I wonder what was, I mean, just imagine, just on the other side of that obedience was a beautiful promise. But a practical step, or the lack of, revealed what was in their heart. And it was unbelief, it was a lack of trust, it was a lack of faith. I wonder what's on the other side of COVID. I wonder how we step now is going to determine some of those things. Right? I, I wonder what's on the other side of, of the battle that you're facing, on the wound that you're not dealing with. I wonder what's on the, the other side of that. Listen, man, God, like Jackie said, Pastor Jackie said, God is for you. I wonder what's on the other side of that acknowledgement, on the other side of that doubt.
So I want you to ask the question, where am I not stepping? Where am I not stepping? See, let me tell you something about healing. I believe that God still does miracles today. I believe that God still can heal physical bodies today. But I think sometimes in the church, it gets distorted on both ways. Some camps are sensationalists. They say that God doesn't heal anymore, that, that God can, but God really doesn't operate that way anymore. You know, that the miracles were simply to affirm who Jesus is, and I agree with that. But it also says that he, he didn't just move to prove who he was, but he was also moved by compassion. And so, yeah, the word of God has been solidified. <laughs> Jesus is who he claims, who he is. The resurrection is very valid, and it's, it's, it's very much for real. But can I just tell you that there's still a compassion of God that he has on people. And, and, and I've experienced that. You know, I, I remember going into the hospital right down the street. This man's 37 years old. He looks like a highlighter. Drinks a lot of vodka every day. The doctor, I heard it with my own ears, says, it's, it's time for hospice. Like, he's done. And we pray for this man. And next thing you know, he starts to recover. The doctor's like, I don't understand, but hospice is not going to be necessary. He's recovering very well. He's going to need some rehabilitation. So next thing you know, I mean, we just see in two weeks, he's totally fine, released from the hospital in Oregon, in a program, preaching the gospel, leading Bible studies. Like God still does that stuff. Like that's just true. But, but I've also laid hands on babies and I've watched them die. And so can I just tell you, uh, like God heals, but sometimes I think we get healing a little bit distorted. I still believe that God's, God heals. I believe that it's God's will for your life to be whole. I believe that, that God can, but how that healing is manifested, we have to leave room for God's sovereignty. And so like our job is to contend for healing, but we have to leave room for God's sovereignty. Let me give you an example. Her name is Joni Erickson Tata. She had a diving accident. She's a quadriplegic. She went to every conference, every evangelist, everything to just asking God to heal our body. And guess what? She's still a quadriplegic. But can I just tell you, I think sometimes we, we don't understand healing. What do I mean by that? God may not always heal it, but he will heal you. God may not always heal it, but he will heal you. Like, like just to be frank, like there's some marriages that have gotten divorced and they're not coming back. But God can still heal you. Like there's some, some for, for her, she, she cried. I mean, you could imagine her crying out to God for healing. God didn't heal it, but he healed her. She has an incredible ministry. Many, many th hundreds of thousands of people have come to Christ. Would she take that back? I, I don't know. I'd have to ask her. That's one of my questions that I would love to ask Joni Ershatana. Hey, if you could be healed, would you, would, you, would you want God to do it now? And so, so, Again, healing doesn't always mean the removal of pain and opposition. We see that just like I explained in the book of Acts. We see even Paul. We don't know what Paul was afflicted by. And I think that's a mystery for God's good reasons and purposes. But, but Paul asked the Lord three times, take this from me. And God said, I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you. My power and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Are you guys tracking with me on that? And, and, and what that means is this. God may not remove it. He may not heal it, but he will, 
but it is God's will that you are healed in that process. However that looks, we gotta leave room for God's sovereignty, but I want you to know this today, ladies and gentlemen, is that one man left church that day healed, but there was a lot of religious leaders that left not. Because they were just as wounded, they just hide behind their tassels and their robes. Their, their souls were just as fractured. But they looked, how do we get Jesus out of the equation? Rather than recalculating with him, they left broken. They looked put together, but they didn't leave healed. This man left healed. They were still hiding. I wanna pray for you today, whether you're tuning in online. I know that some of you guys have been wrestling with a lot and I just want to, to pray healing over your, your lives, your soul, your bodies, and the greatest healing of all is salvation. The greatest miracle of all is somebody putting their faith in Christ. That's where the game changes. That's where the ultimate recalculation happens. Can I just tell you, if you've been away from Jesus, Man, it's a great time to come back. Summer's over. Let's get, let's, let's, let's get serious, right? We're still in the, in the middle. Our world is in, I don't know what the next several months hold. Everything's so unpredictable. Everything's just, but it's okay because God is still in control. And in the midst of all the craziness, God's called us to be a light in the midst of darkness, not consumed with it. And so maybe if you got away from Jesus, you need to put your trust in for the very first time. Today would be a great day. If you have never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Man, I would encourage you today. I would encourage you to, to, to pray with me. And this prayer, it's not magical, but what this prayer is gonna do is it's hopefully gonna communicate what's in your heart and that we wanna help you to understand what is it, what, what is it, I'm putting my faith in Christ today. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting him as my Lord, as my savior. What does this mean? How do I, how do I function? And then our prayer team is, is online ready and excited to pray with you and for you. Our prayer team is gonna be right up here after service. Some of you guys need to take a practical step. Let us pray with you and for you. But let me pray, would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace on our life. We thank you for your touch. We thank you for your compassion. Do you see the areas where we've been harassed? You see the areas, God, where we've been helpless? Where some of us have been like sheep without a shepherd. And you're extending that invitation today. And so if you need to trust Jesus for the first time or maybe you need to rededicate your life to him, again, there's nothing magical in the prayer. It's you setting Jesus apart as Lord. Not just confessing him as your savior, but setting him, him apart as Lord. So would you pray that you say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender. I confess my sin to you. And I ask that you'd forgive me. Thank you for taking my sin upon yourself my punishment, the wrath that belongs to me, you bore it upon yourself so that I would be free, so that I could be healed. I thank you that you died on that cross, but you rose again on the third day, that you're alive, you still see, you still know, and you still serve us in a way, Lord, that's beyond comprehension. Your grace, your love, your forgiveness. Lord, I'm following you today. I confess you, Jesus, as my Lord. I need, I'm in need of a savior. 
would you save me today from my sin and from the wrath to come? I surrender in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand this morning? So good. Well, listen, we're running out of time. We got another service coming in. We wanted to create more space. And by the grace of God, it's, it's working out well. Um, our services are pretty uh, distributed. We're going to keep doing that as, as much as we have. We'll go to 10 services if we have to. Um, but listen, if you're online, you can go ahead. If you prayed that prayer, we want you to cl cl uh, cl 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 click that little box that says, I'm giving my life to Jesus so we can follow up with you. Um, if you would be so kind as to click the connect card, uh, we would love to follow up and help you take some next steps. Uh, whether you need to jump into growth track, uh, we're going to do step one today. I'd love to spend about 60 minutes with you. So if you've not done growth track step one, it's going to happen tonight at 730. We're going to be on Zoom. Uh, so you can do it from the convenience of your home. But I'd love uh, to spend a little time with you there. You can sign up on the Connect card. Uh, small groups, you can jump in, go online, sign up on the Connect card. Uh, we'd love to get you uh, connected there. And uh, listen, we love you so much. We are praying for you. Uh, if you're in person here with me right now, our, our Connect cards, um, you can turn into our next step area. Uh, you can grab a Connect card, fill it out over there, do the whole thing. Any questions that you have about our church, our team is excited to, to serve you and to host you. Um, Father, I pray that as we go, would you stand with me? Even where you're, if you're at home, just stand to your feet. Father, I pray that you'd bless them and keep them. I pray you'd make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. I pray that you'd give them peace and, Lord, favor in everything that they do. Lord, may you be glorified and may we be lights in the midst of darkness. Help us to deal with our stuff with you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. Well, listen, as you guys are transitioning out, just kind of be mindful. Uh, we just ask that you wear your mask too, you know, as you guys are traveling, you know, outside of this vicinity, just put on your mask. Um, we love you guys so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. If you're not involved in a small group, get one. We'll see you in the small groups this week. Love you so much, and we're praying for you. Our prayer team is up here. If you guys need prayer, please come up here. Our prayer team is excited to pray with you. Don't hesitate. We'd love to pray with you. That step may change the game. We love you.